Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. All kind, and they're great relationships, but we actually believe that a relationship with Jesus Christ is a game changer. It's a defining moment in someone's life, and so that's why we've made it the main thing around here. So if you're visiting here, we want you to know that's what we're about, connecting people to Jesus uh, and to one another. You know, as I was coming here this morning, I thought to myself, I never get tired of coming here on a Sunday morning to be uh, with you all. You know, you think after maybe a couple of years that, you know, the glitter, the glamour, the sparkle would all kind of fade away, but it doesn't. It just gets better and better, so uh, thank you so much for being here. If you were here last week, you notice I, you would uh, remember that I, I talked about puzzles. Well, let me tell you, I got a lot of comments about that. I made some enemies, uh, because for some people, puzzles are relaxing and, and enjoyable. It's a family function. You invite your friends over. I'm like, oh my word. And... Um, I mean, people sent me pictures of puzzle tables, how I could build one, and um, it, was, it was incredible. In fact, someone told me yesterday that in Ferguson, up by, I think it's Kitchener, is it? The, there's a toy store that has a puzzle out right now. You can stop in and put a couple pieces. It's a 42,000-piece puzzle. Why? <laughs> but you can just stop in and, and, and do it. So um, thank you for all those who have tried to encourage me to be stretched and uh, work on a puzzle. Now, uh, three weeks ago, we began a new series called New Through 30, and for those who haven't been around here for the last couple of weeks, what we've done, we've, been chall- we've challenged each other to read through the entire New Testament in 30 days, and let me tell you, it has been challenging at times, uh, and some people have actually even come up to me and said, you know, you really weren't quite telling the truth when you said it would take 30 minutes a day. I actually thought it would. It doesn't. And I have discovered that. In fact, a couple of times I've had my head in shame, like, I think maybe I was a liar. Because I think it takes sometimes an hour, sometimes an hour and 15 minutes to to get it all done. But we're going through the New Testament. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, I wonder if if we know the books of the New Testament. I was wondering, do you think we could say them together to see if we do know them? Let's try it. Okay, ready? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2, oh, Titus, Titus, oh my goodness, embarrassing, Titus, Philemon, Hebrew, James, And Revelation, whoa! You know what? Some of you guys, for you old timers, that was a lot of memory work. So, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You're the ones that actually got it down. You know, as we're going through this, though, um, I hope you you realize like this is the number one bestseller in the world. You know that, right? Uh, you know this has been translated into more languages than any other book uh, in the in, in the in the world. This really is the most important book that's ever been written in all of history. And, and I realize that some countries have banned it, and, and some people have burned it, and some people speak against it, and uh, there have been wars over it, and churches have split because of it, and, uh, and yet here we are, 2,000 years later, 
and are still changing lives. That's why we say the grass withers, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall what? Stand forever. That is uh, God's word. And, and, and what I love about it, it clearly tells us that we are great sinners, but hey, we have a greater Savior who can overcome our sin. That Jesus came to rescue people like you and me. How you doing on your reading, by the way? That's the question. How you, how you doing? I had, a, I had a number of people, I got to tell you, after the first service, I had some people come up to me and say, oh, this is what I got out of my reading this week, or hey, I'm a little bit behind, I'm, I'm a chapter behind, I'm a book behind, or I'm three books behind, and, and some people said, I, I have challenges in reading, and, and so I, you know, I'm setting timers, and, and uh, you know, I have a problem staying focused, so I, I, I read 10 minutes, and then I go away and walk away, and I come back 10 more minutes, and I, I'm keeping up with the reading, and, and some people said, you know, I, I've had a challenge actually ever to read the Bible, and I've taken on this challenge and it's really helped me focus to read through the New Testament. So I'm very excited for how many people are actually doing it. I mean, just being able to chisel some of that time away to, uh, to read through the New Testament can be quite challenging. And so if you are right where you need to be in that book that, or the bookmark that we're following, man, I applaud you. You're like a superstar uh, when it comes to keeping things, things up. You know, when I was in high school, I, I took a reading course that would teach you how to read 1,800 words a minute. And you're just kind of, you know, you're reading really, really fast. But I have not been able to apply any of that and read through the New Testament because you just want to soak it in. You don't want to miss anything as you're reading th uh, through that. And, uh, and so I, I, um, the task of reading through the New Testament has been quite challenging. Uh, I admit it. I've, uh, I've found myself up sometimes late at night to finish my reading. In fact, I'll confess something to you. I shouldn't because I want you to think good of me. But um, Thursday, we're supposed to read 2 Corinthians, and, 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 I, and I just, I don't know, I ran out of time. But then on, on, on uh, Friday, it was the book of Romans, of course, and then last night, I'm lying in bed, and I'm like, I have got to get 2 Corinthians read before I go to church. The people will be asking me, they'll be quizzing me. And so I, I finished reading at 1.35 this morning, just so I could say I'm all caught up. Thank the Lord for grace days that allow you to get that all done. It is not an easy task, and I realize that some of you are going to take new through uh, 60, or, or, or new through 90, or new through 120. No problem. Just keep at it. Keep in God's Word, and press on until you're able to finish. I have lots of friends who took a four-year program and turned it into a five- and six-year program, so no problem extending uh, that reading. Just keep pressing on. You know, in my small group this week, uh, we were asking questions with one another. Again, was there anything that kind of bothered you or, or stood out to you? And it was very interesting when people were making comments. They were like, why would Jesus say that? Or, or why did Peter do that? Or why did Paul write that? You know, and, and some of it was very challenging, and it's just exciting to, as a group of us are, are reading through uh, God's Word. And, and, and when I was deciding what to preach on this week, because I wanted to preach on something that, we, that we're reading through uh, together in this challenge, there's just so much. I mean, you read through the book of Mark, and from cover to cover, there's just so much there that can be applied to our lives. You, you read through First and Second Thessalonians, and you're so encouraged about the second coming of the Lord, that he's going to come with a trumpet, with the sound of the trumpet, and one day he shall return. And then you go through First and Second Corinthians, and you realize, wow, some of the church has some problems. Uh, you read through the book of Galatians, and you're like, why would people who've been set free from Christ want to go back to the old ways? And then, of course, on Friday, it was the book of Romans. Wow, what a book that is. 
I mean, the book of Romans is really the foundation of the entire Christian faith. Everything that Paul wanted to ever say about uh, sin and God and, and grace and salvation was all said right there in the book of Romans. When what Jesus had done for train wrecks like you and me, completely explained in the book of Romans. And I want to tell you, I, I struggle too, just like you. You know, these questions come up, and as I'm reading through it, I was reminded once again, is this true? Can it really be that good that Jesus would do that for us? This radical good news of the gospel that has been uh, offered to us. You know, Romans is such a, it's such an amazing book. Amazing. It diagnoses our sin and then it, it tells us, but there is a deliverer for all of it. You know, in, in the book, the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to be on my way to Spain, but I want to stop in and see you at Rome because, you know why he said? Because your faith is being discussed all around the world. Can you imagine that? Their reputation was their faith was, was being discussed all over the world. And Paul wanted to stop in on his way to Spain. Uh, literally, Spain was probably the farthest spot that Paul will, will, would have ever gone, and he really took it to heart, you know, to go to the uttermost parts of the world to proclaim the good news. Really, the book of Romans is like 100% good news, because Paul announces that Jesus is the deliverer, the Savior of the world, and Romans is really more like a sermon that Paul is preaching uh, than, than just reading through a book, and it was the book of Romans that Martin Luther, who was a, a committed um, a priest and uh, you know, committed his life to God, and, and as he's reading through the book of Romans, something jarred inside of him, something he had never really heard or seen before, because it was the book of Romans that said, well, salvation is, is a free gift of God that you actually didn't have the work for your salvation. And it changed everything, that's why he wrote his 95 Theses that he kind of pounded onto the Wittenberg Castle door, letting just explaining what Christ had done through Romans. And the whole Protestant Reformation took place. He, he realized that in reading through the book of Romans, it was true what Christ had said. It is finished. Like what Christ's work had done on the cross, it was finished. And that our works are like filthy rags when it comes to earning our salvation. You know, the book of Romans sat around in the church, has sat around in the church since the first century, and it went off like a bomb into the church. This radical, one-way love was exactly what broken and hurting and messed up people were so desperate to hear that someone had come to rescue them. You see, the gospel really is good news. You know, I was listening to the song on the radio by Mercy Me. We always say the gospel is good news, but I love this song. It says it's not just good news. It's the best news that you'll ever hear, that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. And so as you're reading through Romans, you just can't help but see that over and over and over again. And then, of course, we also had to read the book of, uh, of James this week, which, you know, we did a big study on that uh, last fall. So as I was asking myself, what should, I, what should I speak on from those things that we were reading this week? I, there was something, there was a passage I read that once again, God grabbed my attention. You know, for some of us, you know, we read something and that's what grabs our attention. And like today after the service, someone came up to me and said, oh, this is the one thing that really grabbed my attention this week. A gentleman had come down and says, it just is transforming me. 
And, and you may read something that it just really speaks to you. And it's because when we're in different seasons of life, it's amazing how God's word reaches us where we are in life. I, I love it. It's always fresh. It's always new. Every time we open up his word, it's like it speaks into our, our, our life. So as I was reading, I thought, what is it that really stood out to me? Of all the reading. Well, it was a, it was a little phrase. It was a one-liner. And I read that, and I pondered, and I stopped, and I read it again. And then I read it again. Just one line. And it's something that we, had, we have looked at before, last fall. It was a one-liner, again, in that little book of James that was written by Jesus' bold little brother. When he was, and when he was writing, and we've said this so many times last fall when we were studying through James, it's just such a practical book. It's so easy to understand. You don't need dictionaries around to figure out what he's trying to say. It's just kind of straight in your face. I don't know if you've ever taken a class or a course where it was just so confusing what the teacher or the communicator was trying to say. Uh, a few years ago, I was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I was in a room, you know, it was about 200 pastors. And the guy is speaking, and I remember going, I have no idea what he's talking about. And I looked around at all the pastors, and I looked at the table with my friends, and they're all going, mm, oh, that's good. Amen. Amen. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I am the stupidest person in this room because I have no idea. Then finally, there was a break. And I said to my friends at the table, I said, boy, you guys are really into this. Like, you're really getting it, man. I, I see you shaking your heads, and you're saying amen. And they go, oh, we don't understand what he's saying. I said, I said, I said well, what are you doing? He says, oh, well, that's called acting, Donald. It's called acting. We're, we're just trying to stay engaged. We know he's such an intelligent person that whatever he's saying must be good. So we're just uh, agreeing with him. But I always thought to myself, if you don't understand what's being said, how in the world can you apply? Apply it. And I've discovered as well that you know, sometimes Bible preachers and Bible communicators will make things so complicated that it causes people to go in a daze and begin to cross their eyes. Now, the one thing good about making the Bible so complicated is that you, know, you, you don't have to be held responsible for what you don't know. But there's always preachers or teachers or followers of Christ that are, that are looking to go deep. Oh, we've got to go deep into the Bible. In fact, they speak in such a way that they talk about the deepness that almost discourages people from reading the Bible because it seems so confusing at times. Now, I'm not a really deep person. What you see is what you get. And I know what you see some of you guys don't like. I get it. But I'm pretty simplistic. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm a simple thinker. And, you know, while I was in seminary, we had to study Greek and Hebrew. So I took five years of Greek and three years of Hebrew. So I hope, I hope not one of my professors is watching today. But I opened up my Hebrew Bible, and literally I went, is it this way? Or is it this way? Or is it this way? It was like I had forgotten. I, but I, I remember that in seminary, you know, as, as seminary students, we used to put that under our, you know, shoulder, and we'd go to church because we knew the deep stuff. And we'd sit by people that had an English Bible. If you only knew the deep stuff that we knew. Now, they had no idea that I had a little English Bible inside so I could figure out what was being said. And so sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I, 
I want to go deeper. And, and, I, and I appreciate that. I appreciate wanting to know some of the, the things uh, of the Bible. But I, I had a, a fellow colleague, student, who he was, we were in the master's program, and he was working on his thesis, and, and, and he, he, he was like, a, he was really deep. And, uh, and, I, and I remember he decided that he was going to do his thesis on the justice of Jeremiah. I was like, huh? And, and, and so I, I did a little research. A Joseph, just I know this is going to get you excited. A Joseph is part of the Hebrew grammar. I believe there are five Josephs in Jeremiah. It isn't an imperative, but it acts like an imperative. It's not an imperfect in its tense, but it seems to be identical in form to the imperfect. So he'd say, take your Bibles as we look at this glorious revelation, uh, revelation of the five Josephs of Jeremiah. And I remember going, what is he talking about? He's gone so deep that nobody understands a word uh, that he's saying. And when I decided once again just to speak from that one phrase in the book of James, I knew immediately it wouldn't be complicated. It would be easy to follow, easy to understand. It's like you can't miss it. It's as plain as the nose on our faces. faces. And as I said, you don't, you don't need dictionaries. You, you don't need to know extra languages to try to figure out what is James trying to say in this book. It makes it very clear. And, you know, just when I thought I was doing really well, especially after the last fall, we went through the book of James, and I thought, well, you know, as I read through it this week, it's going to be kind of just a, uh, a review, and then all of a sudden it just, oh, I thought I was doing well, and then I read this one phrase, I'm like, oh, what are you trying to say? So with that as our intro uh, to our message tomorrow, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, will you please? Take your Bibles, and we're going to look at a phrase in the book of James, and it's chapter 1. James chapter 1. And Hebrew, it's Hebrews and it's James. And I know, I know you've gotten so relaxed and so comfortable in your seat, but would you be willing to stand as we read God's word together? We'll pick it up in verse 19 and then we'll kind of just focus on that one phrase. My dear brothers and sisters, he says, take note of this. In other words, listen up. Like, highlight this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. This is not even the phrase I want to deal with, but even as I'm reading that, like, Donald, why are you so quick to speak? Why are you so quick? Right here it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard by doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Look at verse 22. The phrase is, don't be merely listeners to the word, but do it. That phrase got me. That line got me again this week. Don't be just a listener, Donald. Be a doer. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you here.
for these moments that we have, and we pray that in the next few minutes, as we just kind of look at that phrase, what your word has to say, God, I, I pray that we would not be guilty of just being people who are, are good listeners. We use our ears and, we, and we, we listen, but then we don't do anything with it. And God, our prayer is that we would be a doer of the word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How many people remember the joy that there was when you were younger and riding your bicycle? Right? Like you got a bike and it was, it was exciting. Now, I had a lot of, uh, you know, bikes over the years. I still bike. I still like to bike. But I, I, I had, had a few hand-me-downs from a, a couple cousins. But I remember the day I got a brand new bike. And what a day it was. I had the banana seat. Remember those? I had that big bar, chrome bar on the back. And I had manly tassels <laughs> on my handlebars. Very masculine. And a deep purple bike. Actually, it was the best looking bike in, I thought, not just on my street, my neighborhood and city, I think. It was exceptional. I, I love that bike. I would sometimes just put it on the lawn for people to watch and look at it. Incredible. I love to bike. And one particular time, I was out biking, and tragedy struck because a pedal fell off. Like, you know, the nut, some it fell off. This beautiful, spectacular bike. And I stopped, and, you know, you start looking around for, for the part, for the piece. And I, and I, 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 I couldn't find it. And so I, I got on my bike, and I, and I have one pedal, and you know, you kind of have the arm, right, of the, on the other side. And so it's hard to bike with that arm. And so you end up pedaling your bike with, with just one pedal. You know, you go down, then you take your foot and put it below it and bring it up, you know. And I, I made my way home with, with one pedal. And as I thought about that, it kind of connects with this passage of Scripture that we just read. You see, just like you, you need two pedals to ride a bike. I think James is saying here, it's important to, to know the word, but you've got to do the word. It's like two pedals. Know the word, do the word as you're pedaling. Know it and do it. That's one of the reasons we really encourage and challenge us together to read through God's word. We're reading through God's word so we can know God's word, so we can apply God's word, so we can do God's word. And so just like riding a bike, right? Know God's word, do God's word, know God's word, do God's word, know God's word. Here's the problem. Some people only like to use one pedal. They know God's word. They know it because they've studied it. They've outlined it. <laughs> they've highlighted it. They've taken classes on it. They know their Greek and Hebrew. I mean, they know the word inside out. But they don't use the other pedal where it talks about doing the word. It's just all about knowing, knowing, knowing. Then on the flip side, you got people who are, you know, are good people. 
And they notice on a few things that the Bible says, and they do it. They're doers. They do, they do, they do. But they just use one pedal. They don't really know God's word. They just do God's. They just do things. And so James is saying here, know God's word, yeah, but do God's word. Know God's word, do God's word. It's twofold. Um, and James is, it makes it very clear to us. I mean, we all like, uh, I, I'm the same way, we all like sermons that, you know, get us all excited and jump and shout and sing hallelujah. We love those kind of sermons, but this is not that kind of sermon. Sorry to say. Um, when I read that phrase again this week, quite frankly, it made me uncomfortable. It did. I'm not talking about you, I'm just talking about me. It caused me to kind of squirm in my seat as I was reading it. I thought, this is not complicated, Donald, at all. What I'm saying here is, Donald, just don't know the word. Don't just listen, Donald. But actually, do the word. And maybe this morning as we're going through this, you may feel a little uncomfortable. As James is really challenging us. The Bible says, if we're hearers and not doers, he says, we're, we're really just like people who look in a mirror. And we see it. And we set it down and walk away and we forget what we look like. I mean, a mirror is, is there to show us all of our perfections. I mean, our imperfections. And then go do something about it. See, God's word allows us to see who we really are in the light. But the mirror doesn't fix anything. It's not the mirror that's going to fix the problem. You've got to do something with what you see. And, I mean, and there's all kinds of mirrors out there that can give you a false sense of who you are. I would love to have a mirror that trims me down by about 10 pounds. But it wouldn't be an accurate view. It'd be distorted. Just by looking at a mirror doesn't make me look any thinner. thinner. I, I, I recognize I need to do something. The Bible doesn't change our life just by reading it and knowing it unless we apply it. It's in the application of the process that transformation begins to take place in our lives. The mirror only allows you the opportunity to make some improvement. See, application is the aim when it comes to God's Word. I mean, me working on a sermon for 20 hours in a week to make it relevant and applicable, and yet I do nothing with it, well, what good is that? Because it's about application. Uh, when, when, I was, um, when I was a teenager, I grew up in a youth group where Bible memory was really held up high. And, and I think Bible memory, by the way, is very important. Pa in fact, Pastor Dave and I were talking about that the other day. Are we doing as much scripture memory as we've gotten older? And I said, well, you know, I don't think I do as much as I used to. But as a youth, we just did massive amounts of memorizing. And, and so through my years of, in, in youth group, from junior high and high school, we actually memorized 10 books of the Bible from word for word from beginning to end. We could stand up as a youth group in front of our congregation and we would just, we'd just start from the very beginning and not stop until we get to the end of the book. I mean, it was held up very high. And it's, it's so impressive. But as I was thinking about this, Donald, stop being so impressed 
with all that you can quote. It's not about quoting Scripture. Be impressed when you live out Scripture. Because it's not just in the hearing. It's in the doing. Don't just take it all in and don't do anything with it. Because, Donald, if that's what you're doing, quite frankly, you're deceiving yourself, Donald. You've really deluded yourself. You know, by the way, you can see, you can watch a lot of reality television shows that people are deluded as to who they think they are. You know, yeah, I used to love, I, I mean, I do, I, I love the Amazing Race show. And sometimes I'll interview people, and yeah, I'm very athletic, and I'm very smart, I can figure things out and have a good sense of direction, and I'm like, and then you watch them, and they're completely lost in a city where there's a sign that tells them where to go. Or, you know, they run 100 yards, and they're like, oh, i got to take a break, and I'm thinking, well, you just said earlier you were an, you were an athlete. You know, they, they've deceived themselves to think that there's something that they're not. It's like, uh, probably American Idol is the best illustration, Right? You remember those interviews? Oh, my word. You'd be so embarrassed for the people. And they'd come, and they would sing. And you're like, oh, there's millions of people watching you. And, and they would say, so, I, so um, what makes you think? You know, uh, singing is in your future. Oh, because my mother tells me I'm the best. I'm the best singer. And they go out, and they out in the foyer there, and they're talking to the parents. Oh, my son has been singing for me since I, he's been a little boy. He's so good. I know he's going to make a a gold record one day. I'm like, not only is there one person deceived, there's two people in that family that have been deceived. I, um, I've done a program, I don't know if you, it's called um, PX90. A few years ago, I, I did that. It's kind of, it's a fitness program, kind of an intense fitness program. But when I first got it, I liked just to watch it. You know, I wanted to prepare for it. I sat on the sofa and watched the whole thing. I was like, that's going to be good when I do that. <laughs> and I would listen to Tony Horton. Stand up. Let's go. Let, you know, let's sweat a little bit. And I'm like, oh, that's going to be so good when I do that. <laughs> and then I would look in the mirror and I go, and I have another cookie. It made no sense. You know, I'd listen to him, but I wasn't getting plugged in to doing what he said. And honestly, isn't it, that's just kind of like the same thing with God's Word. Sometimes we, we've heard, we've listened, we've read, but we've never actually taken time to apply it. See, it's only in the application is there progress in the transformation through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I, I have a lot of people, I hear this regularly, a lot of people who will say, I just want to go, I want to go deeper. I want to know the hidden truths of the Bible. I, I want to discover new insights that I didn't know before. And I can have a complete appreciation for that. I think it's awesome. It's, it's commendable. I mean, I've, I love doing those inductive Bible studies. I don't know if anybody's ever done a precept Bible studies. I love those things. You, you highlight and you... Would, make lists and you color code everything. I love it. You look up Greek words and Hebrew words. But sometimes I feel like some of us have gotten so deep that we've gotten stuck. We've gone down so deep. I feel like we've gotten stuck. I think that's what James is addressing to these Christians. Like, you, you know, you've heard a lot. 
You've been taught a lot. But it's time to act on what you know. In my first year of Bible school, I went to Word of Life Bible Institute in New York. And I have to say, it was a lot of years ago, but one of the things I loved about going to school there is that we would learn Monday through Friday. We were in classes Monday through Friday. Bang, as soon as classes were open Friday, we were doing what we had just learned that week. So, you know, it, I remember some weekends they would just send us to New York City. Oh, we were scared to death. And, and they would, you know, they'd want us to do some treat, street preaching or, or they'd send us to Harlem and, and we would do kids' programs. And just, you know, we'd, just, we'd learn all kinds of stuff, so act on what you learned. And, and, and then some weekends they would say, okay, you've learned all this weekend. We're, we're busing in 500 inner-city kids who are from some terrible background. You're going to be working with them all weekend. I loved it because I was learning all week, but then I had to apply what I was learning. I wasn't just soaking in, soaking in, soaking in, and not doing anything with it. I loved it. Putting into action immediately what I was learning. So sometimes when I hear people say, I just want to go deeper. There's this little struggle inside of me. Because sometimes I don't think we need to go deeper as much as we just need to act on what we know. I don't know if we need to fill in another notebook or sermon outlines. Maybe it would be time to do something with what we already know. And do you know what is deep? According to James, like, do you know what it is really means to get deep in the word? I think James is saying going deep is actually doing it. It's actually doing God's word. Deep is doing what the word of God says. That's a deep. Doing what we know we should be doing. I, I think I've quoted Mark Twain before, but I, I love his quote. It's not the parts in the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me. It's the parts that I do understand that bother me. And I don't do anything about it. Until I get what I do know right, I sometimes wonder, do I need to even learn more spiritual truths? You know, sometimes I think to myself, you know what, Donald, you need to do when you go deeper? Why don't you just start by loving your neighbor as yourself? That's deep, Donald. Yeah, that's deep. Because Donald, it seems like you're still having a hard time with that one. So maybe before we learn some more stuff, work on, work on that. And I think sometimes, maybe for some of us, not all of us, but maybe for some of us, one more Bible study is not what we need. Maybe it's just this time to go out and do what we already know. To live it out. Because... A lot of us, you know, some of us have been here for years and years and years. I mean, I grew up in a church since I was, I was at church when I was in the womb. Like, I, I, I know church life. And sometimes I go, you know, sometimes you, you just know so much that you, you forget the simple things of just doing it. What you know. I, I feel like I need to wear that Nike slogan that just says, just do it. And then put below it, Donald. I don't know if you ever have really intently listened to maybe one of your friends apologize or some celebrity on TV. You know, maybe they've got caught in something and so they're apologizing publicly. And I can remember uh, um, a few years ago when, when Tiger Woods got kind of wrapped up in some sexual scandals that, where his marriage fell apart. And I, and I wrote a couple things down that he said. 
He says, I'm the one to blame. I convinced myself that normal rules didn't apply to me. Well, that I could get away with it. He said, I, I felt I was entitled. I was wrong and foolish to think I can apply a different set of rules when it comes to living a life of integrity. I thought, hmm. See, see you know stuff about a life of integrity, but you don't apply it. I thought, isn't that, that's kind of something like, well, we do sometimes. We know, we know so much, but it's that next step of actually doing it. I, I think sometimes we just deceive ourselves when we have allowed ourselves to just fall into being a hearer and a doer. And by the way, notice that it doesn't say, um, when you're just a hearer, not a doer, you're wasting your time. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't even say, listen, if you're just a hearer of the word, not a doer, you're deceiving all kinds of people. It says, you're the one deceived. You're the one who has been deceived by just being a hearer and a, not a doer. Because quite, quite frankly, I think the rest of the people know already. I mean, people begin to clue in when we don't live what we lip. People begin to notice, hey, your talk doesn't seem to match your walk. And so I, I realize we, we get deceived. You know, sometimes you'll, you know, I, I meet people on a regular basis who, who can shout up and down and, and praise, and then you go out and you watch huh, how they live, and you go, really? You know, maybe you're here, and um, you maybe you're involved in a college group here. You come, and you're, you have great Bible discussions, and, and, and people, you know, really like, wow, he knows a lot. And, but then if you... You know, if you find yourself sleeping around on the weekends, you go, hmm, you're a hearer of the word. You know some things about the word, but you're not a doer. Or, you know, maybe you're a teen, and you're highly involved in youth ministry. You go every week. You can engage with all kinds of conversations. But you go home and show no respect to your parents. I go, hmm, let me think that through. You know a lot. You hear a lot. But actually, the truth is it's the application being the doer of the word um, that makes a difference. You know, maybe you're a, a man who comes here week after week after week. And people maybe highly respect you because of your knowledge of God's word. But if you go home and, and treat your wife like a piece of meat, then you go, no, 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 no. Oh, something's not adding up. We've just become a hearer, not a doer. Or, or maybe you're a, a lady here and, you know, you go to all the ladies' Bible studies. You would never miss one, but then go home or, or be in conversation where you're just always, always negatively talking about your husband. You go, okay, something's not adding up here. Something has gone askew. Somebody, we have deceived ourselves when we just listen and know, but don't apply. You know, I, I think of that even uh, in a congregation. Like, like for me, personally, it's a big deal, the unity of the church. It's big. I realize we're very diverse. I think that's one of the strengths that you can find unity in your diversity. I love it. I think it's one of our strengths. But I also, my antenna goes up 
when, when I hear people who are quite divisive in conversations. You know, huh, that's interesting. I think they have become a, a hearer. Somewhere along the line, they, they forgot to be a doer of the word. You know, maybe you've been here, coming here for 20 years, 30 years, and you've heard, you've listened, you've listened, you've listened, you've heard, you've read, you know, but you know, you haven't done anything with it. And actually, uh, not that I want to discourage church attendance, but it'd be almost better not to be here because, you know, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. So I think we're going to be held accountable for all the stuff that we do know. I know, I, I, I think about that for myself. Like when you go up in a Christian home, I have Christian parents, and grandparents, and great-grandparents, and aunts and uncles, 99% of my whole family are believers. I, I've been given a lot. And I said, whoa, Donald, you realize you're going to be held at a higher accountability because what God's given to you. And so I, I get nervous sometimes. I, I, Lord, I don't want to just be a hearer of the word. I don't want to just know the word. I don't want to just read the word. I, I actually want to do it. And so that's why we've been encouraging people to to read God's word. We want you to read through God's word so you can know God's word and then you can do God's word. It's life transformation when you begin to act out what God has said in his word. I don't know if anybody's ever heard the name um, Hetty Green. Hetty Green. She is listed as the world's greatest miser. One person described a miser as one of the meanest person you will ever meet in your entire life because their hearts are hard, their fists are clenched, their necks are stiff. To say she was frugal would be a completely understatement. Stingy maybe might be a better description. Uh, I was reading about her last night and uh, it says she never turned on the heat nor used hot water. She wore one black dress an undergarment that she only changed when it wore out. She never washed her hands. She rode an old beat-up carriage. She ate mostly pies that cost 15 cents, and it was rumored that she only ate oatmeal when she was at the office because she could heat it, on, heat it up on the register in her office. Her son, Ned, broke his leg, and Hetty tried to have him admitted into a hospital charity ward. When she was re uh, recognized, she stormed away, vowing to treat the wound herself. And the leg contracted gangrene, he had his leg amputated, and he ended up with a cork prosthesis. I mean, you wouldn't, be able, you wouldn't blame her if she had no resources at all. But she died in 1916, and it was estimated she was worth $200 million. In today's economy of 2000, in 2019, it said her worth would be somewhere between $2.5 and $4 billion. She was often referred to as the witch of Wall Street, the richest woman in the world. She suffered in her old age from a bad hernia, but wouldn't pay the $150 for the operation. The woman had so much at her disposal, and she did nothing with it. But sometimes, sometimes, I wonder has the church become a little bit like a spiritual miser? We have so much. But are we doing anything 
with it. You know, we're filling pews and chairs all around the country. But are we doing anything with what we have? Because sometimes I feel like as churches, maybe we receive, we receive, we receive, we chew on it, we know it, we hear it, we listen to it. But are we doing it? And the passage says, God blesses not when we just listen or know it. The Bible says he actually blesses you when you do it.